Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Undercast, where people gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week, we continue our Shocktober 7 marathon. That's right, the seventh time we have done a month, on one case, we did two months of horror movies. Horror? Horror Movies you sound like the the host of a a British public access show. It's, yeah, something yeah along those lines. And so uh, yes, indeed, we are doing that very thing, and we are looking at uh you know uh the movie Green Room, which is all about uh you know beef between Matt Damon and some other talk show host um <laughs> as they prepare to go on the Late Show. I thought it was about botanists growing plants in the winter. I want to watch both of those movies, honestly. <laughs> uh, that's that's not what we did though. Well, it's green room. It is green room. No, it's uh, that's not what this movie's about. It's about other things. Um, Nazis are bad. We are very brave in taking a courageous position to say just that. Yeah, I'm just hey guys, I'm just really proud of us that we can all gather around a table and take the very very brave stance for three white men to say Nazis, not a fan, bad. So, uh, without any further ado, let's identify the. Wait, ways. I wasn't supposed to shave my head. No, oh, I no. took the wrong angle out of this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about the red laces? Is that a no, also bad. Also, also bad. Also, only in combat boots. Red laces are oh. fine in Converse. Okay. This is not going to be an episode where we uh, dissect the British skinhead culture of the 70s. It's nuanced and weird. It is yeah, in both of those it's things. It's so strange, man. It, I did some research uh, for this episode. I decided it was way more trouble to get into than it was worth. Yeah, it's nutso. So, but, well, you do want to identify these disembodied voices speaking to your brains uh, this very moment. So who are you to my right, sir? I am the Fleisch Wolf, and my Desert Island band is the Beach Boys. <laughs> First of all, great answer. Second of all, I am not calling you that. No, never. Never once. Okay, you can call me Meat Grinder. I, I will call you Meat Grinder. Meat Grinder? Great pro wrestler name. It is a good pro wrestler name. Well, who are you, sir? My name is Dalton Stewart, and my Desert Island band is the Beastie Boys. Excellent, excellent. My name is Reese, and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. Because it is. And, no, my name's Dustin Sells, and my Desert Island band is, without any surprises, Pearl Jam. Yep. So there I, you... I think we were all pretty on brand, honestly. Even flow. There's a word over the words, oh, gotta free the West Memphis Three. Hey, he did. Well, Peter Jackson helped. What are you looking at me like that for, Dustin? The director? We've done the singing yeah. of Vetter again. Yeah. So this brought it's, back from like episode two. <laughs> it's been a long time since we did that to you. Oh, man. You guys are the worst. Uh, so um, what we find out uh, later on in the show is that if we were all locked together in a green room being attacked by Nazis, I would just kill these two and then make my way out <laughs> by myself. You love us. You would be the lone survivor if we were in this situation, Dustin. I don't know if that's true or not. We'll get into spoiler talk about why he's Reese later on uh, in the show. I, I think I might be brave and dead. Yes. Yeah. Um, Dalton's obviously uh, uh, Anton Yelton. Yeah, that checks out, honestly. Well, graveyards are full of brave people, and uh, we will talk more about that anon. But in case you're tuning into the show for the very first time, we need to warn you of a few things. This is not a review show. Oh, no. It is a analysis show. And that means we will do some spoilering, and that means we will talk about who dies and who lives and how and why and all that good stuff here towards the end of the show. But we will give you the briefest of reprieves in the meantime. We'll have a synopsis, which will be um, from IMDb and without spoilers. We will also then have thumbs up, thumbs down reviews without spoilers. We will then play a game which might involve the 
mildest, the gentlest of all spoilers. You know, the all the, the downy free and clear version of spoilers. It's the least offensive possibility uh, for you there in spoiler territory. And then we get down to business, and once that happens, there will indeed be blood. I mean, spoilers. And that will happen at that time. So you have been warned, dear listener, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema. Let's hear that synopsis, please. A punk rock band is forced to fight for survival after witnessing a murder at a neo-Nazi skinhead bar. Are they really a punk rock band? Do they play punk? Are they more of a metalcore the band? The Rights? No, they're, they're, they're like hardcore punk. They're DC yeah. punk. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the genre is a little messy at times. That's a totally fair question. I mean, look, I don't want to get a bunch of hate mail from metal kids and punk kids about how we're getting the subgenres wrong, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say they're they're a hardcore band. Yeah, they're definitely in the mix, that's for sure. Yeah. So, But without any... Uh, yeah, that's just what it is. Uh, let's get down to those thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I'm going to you first, Dalton, because, you know, you picked this film. So I did. So you film pick um, tell us why. Well, uh, as you both did, uh, you both picked two of your favorite horror movies, or each of your favorite horror movies that we haven't already discussed on the show, uh, and uh, seven marathons in, it turns out we've talked about a lot of our favorite horror movies already. Uh, so when it came time to do this, uh, I looked at the ones we hadn't talked about, um, just, you know, some of my favorite horror films, and yeah, we... We did a bunch, and I didn't want to go too down in the bottom of the barrel, so I decided to go with a, a recent one, Green Room, mostly because I've been looking for an excuse to talk about this on the show for a really long time, and uh, this seemed uh, as good an excuse as any. Um, I really became a huge fan of Jeremy Saunier uh, when Green Room or uh, Blue Ruin came out a couple years before Green Room. Uh, we were all big fans of that film the year it came out, and uh, I was hotly anticipating this film, uh, waiting desperately for it to get a release near me. Because uh, it actually had its festival release in 2015, didn't get a full theatrical release until 2016, and uh, I was very excited for over a year. And uh, it was nice to see that uh, my anticipation paid off uh, when I saw this in theaters uh, two years ago. And uh, it has grown in my estimation ever since then. I think what Jeremy Saunier and his team do in this film is so, so successful. Uh, I think a big part of that is Jeremy Saunier uh, Coming up uh, in that DC punk scene, uh, he's talked a lot about that in interviews and that being a big inspiration for this movie. Um, and, and there is a, a truth to this film that you can only glean from somebody who's lived some of these experiences, I think. Um, obviously, Sonya's probably never uh, been trapped in a green room, but he's probably found himself in some clubs he wish he wasn't at. He wishes he wasn't. Verb tenses are hard, kids. Uh, weren't weren't I mean I'm tired uh the point is we've all found ourselves in situations where we can't help but think this could go sideways any second um and, and green room does a really good job of starting that from jump street I mean the, this is a film that starts uh this is a, the mildest of spoilers as Dustin has told you uh with a band who has run out of gasoline on the middle of their tour uh and that's that's not a fun place for anybody to be so, and it just is all downhill from there. I, I think the way in which the film script just lays on tension as we further get into the story is so successful. Um, every moment, something else goes wrong. And it, it's got what I like to, to call that, uh, that aliens plot structure, where every time you think uh, the heroes have found a way out of their predicament, something uh, new comes up to complicate matters. And, uh, it's one of my favorite ways to see a thriller or a horror film plotted is to have life constantly 
uh, screwing up our hero's plans and uh, making life a little bit harder for them. Because, uh, look, that's how it goes sometimes. And uh, when a film can capture the uh, emotional honesty of life going uh, sideways on you every second uh, and take it up to 11, it's really interesting. Um the effects in this are fantastic. I, I don't normally, I'm not much of a gore hound in my horror, but uh, man, the the makeup in this film uh, just bears mentioning because it is so shocking and real and gross uh, and unpleasant. Uh, and I, that's one of my favorite things about Jeremy Saunier movies in general, I think, is his depictions of violence are pretty clinical and unfetishized. I mean, they are just, it's gross when people get hurt. It's gross when people die. It's never cool. And uh, it's something I really like about his filmography is he doesn't uh, seem to relish the violence so much as want to depict it honestly. And I think that's uh, a strong thing for any film, but especially a horror film. Um, I think one of the other things that makes this film so successful is characterization. Um, it, it's it's thin at best, sure, but I think the film uh, has a great economy of character. Uh, and that it tells you everything you need to know about the major players very quickly, very efficiently, uh, and finds ways to get you attached to everybody, including uh, uh, characters like Imogene Poot's character, um, who is not immediately sympathetic, but very quickly finds a way to give sympathy to her out of uh, just being a well-written and well-performed character, honestly. Uh, and the the whole cast is absolutely stellar. Obviously, um, Patrick Stewart got a lot of uh, nods uh, for his performance in this movie as Darby, but I think everybody's great. Obviously, Anton Yelkin in one of his final performances is really, really spectacular here. It's no stranger uh, to frequent listeners of the show. This is not a you know a surprise to you that we all love Anton Yelkin here and uh, miss him dearly. Uh, but even lesser-known actors like uh, Joe Cole from uh, Peaky Blinders uh, as Reese is really great. Uh, Callum Turner, who I haven't really seen in a whole lot of things, is great as Tiger. Uh, Macon Blair, a uh, frequent collaborator of Jeremy Saunier, shows up, and I, he's actually one of my favorite performances in the movie. Um, I think he's really spectacular. Uh, and then even uh, people like Eric Edelstein, who is uh, mostly known for bit parts, uh, like the time he got eight in Jurassic World, is really great. He's a guy who I you mostly probably have seen doing comedy and is super menacing here. Uh, and again, that's that's like a tertiary member of the cast. I think everybody in this film just gives a great performance. Visual style is really great. It's uh, it's got an interesting color palette. It's it's definitely exists in that uh, that post Fincher uh, color palette world that we are still living in. But it doesn't feel too desaturated. Uh, I just love everything about it. I, I think it is so effective um, at creating a world and setting rules and establishing stakes. Uh, and that's something that's really important in a film that ends up having a pretty high body count is having stakes because um, it's easy to lose that. Um, I, I ended up watching Halloween H2O uh, on TV this weekend and no stakes. It's uh, it's fun. But uh, when your people are getting killed left and right, it kind of helps if you care when they die. Uh, and I think that is something this film does very effectively. And uh I think we'll talk more about uh, my love for it when we get down to analysis. But uh, coming out of the gate, yeah, big fan. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what have you to say uh, about the movie Green Room? I can think of very few films that are as tautly uh, directed and edited as this film. Uh, the, the way, as you mentioned, the stakes are raised, the way that tension is ratcheted. 
Uh, it knows when to build and it knows when to breathe and it is paced uh, like a masterclass. I mean, I mean, it's 90 minutes and it feels like a breeze. I mean, it's, it's yeah. keeps it, keep it tight, keep it right. And it does that. Um, it's effective uh, when it needs to be. And like you said, it, it's a lot in the, the performances. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to establish this band, uh, but it gets done in, in ways uh, that matter. Um, I, I love the performances. Like you mentioned, all the guys. I mean, Imogen Poots is great, mm-hmm. and Aaliyah Shawkat's oh, yeah. great. I forgot to mention Aaliyah Shawkat. She's great in this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're both wonderful. It's, it's a great ensemble uh, across the board, and so I, I really like that about it. Uh, Sonia's, uh, you know, approach to violence, I think, is refreshing in, in the world of, of cinema that we have right now. The, the violence uh, matters when it occurs. Have you seen Hold the Dark yet? I haven't yet. Okay, never mind. Um. And so I, I think it's wonderfully constructed. I think it's put together perfectly as, as a film. I don't have a lot negative to say about it. I mean, I think everything about it's great. I, I like, as Dalton mentioned, the violence. You know, something happens, uh, but we don't resonate on it. It's it's about seeing it. It happened, uh, but we don't have to focus on it. We don't have to focus on the gore. We don't have to focus on the blood and the gut or the you know the marrow and the tissue or whatever it might be. Um, and it's harrowing. I think it keeps it. Uh, harrowing uh, from the beginning um, and and because of that uh, because the stakes are raised so early uh, because we know pretty early on how violent this is going to be uh, it, it keeps you on the edge of the seat for the, the rest of the, the runtime. I think um, I, I I really don't I mean I, I've got a lot of praise for this movie there's not a lot of negative uh, that comes to mind for me uh, I'm sure I could probably find something to nitpick but I just don't know I, I mean um, to put, I mean, it's it's very uh, stagey. I mean, we've got what six players in yeah. one room. It would work pretty interestingly as a stage play, honestly. Yeah, and, and I think he pulled off uh, really fascinating uh, ways. Um, but yeah, I, I like that kind of closed room idea. You know, they're trapped. How are we going to get out? And you know, some of the things I read. You know, Sonia goes to great lengths to make sure they are isolated. You know, we get rid of the phones in clever ways. We make sure they don't have an out. There's not an out out of the room, and I think that's very important. Um, well, especially in, the, in a time of uh, mass communication, it's important if you're going to make a movie about being trapped, yeah. you have to very quickly and efficiently like make it clear why yeah. people aren't easily found. Yeah, and, and he, he does a great job. And I remember, you know, there somebody tweeted it out, and I can't remember if they're like. Um, I like watching old movies and then seeing at what point the cell phone could ruin the plot, <laughs> um, yeah. which is a great idea. And, and that's the struggle with modern day horrors or thriller films is everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody's communicated, but not this poor band that shares a cell phone. Nope. And, and I think that's... And as part of their punk DIY yeah, brand the, refuses to be media. on social media. Yeah. yeah. And, and so there are clever little choices like that. Uh, that help with that suspension of disbelief that, that make it work. And I think that's very important to the success of this film. Um, so yeah, a uh, fan all around. I think it's a great movie. I think it's very effective. Uh, it's a very strong effort and I, I appreciate it quite a bit. Dustin, what about you? The, the, Arthur, you had seen this before, correct? Okay. And you, you, Dustin, this is the second time for you? Second or third time. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the third or fourth for me. Um, 
did it hold up for you? Because the thing that I immediately noticed was like it was still stressing me out despite knowing every single beat. Yes, okay. it is definitely very stressful. And I mean, okay, so l- let me ask you to guess whether or not I like this movie. I mean, you know. Yeah, it, this is right up your alley. Guess this. Okay, so this is, might be the way you would pitch this film if you were trying to get funding for it. So let's imagine Penelope Spheris' The Decline of Western Civilization. Yeah. Right? Meets, oh, Night of the Living Dead meets Triumph of the Will. Go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a hundred percent in. I, this it, it sounds like a blast, you know, and it's this interesting, interesting meditation on what's going on in uh, the world of music, what authenticity and truth are all about. It's got this interesting dialogue going on about punk rock and its ethos. It's got this interesting thing going on. It's very prescient about the presence of white supremacy and the alt-right in uh, in the United States. It's got all of that going on alongside a really, really high-tension, ratcheted-up sort of thriller uh, siege film um, layout uh, along with some brilliant performances and, uh, and, again, and, uh, we've already talked about many of the actors, and I, you know, I echo everything that's being said. But this dark, crazy turn from Patrick Stewart as Darcy is Darcy. I called him Darby earlier. Darcy, yeah, terrifying. Oh, he's so scary. It's it absolutely is. And you know, I, I, there's a line where it says, you know, you're less scary now, something to that effect. In the daylight, uh, right? Well, I was not trying to say the whole line, but yes, you're less scary in the daylight. But you know what? He's just as scary. Yeah. It, I, for me, he's terrifying all the way through. I think that line holds uh, a lot to think about and we'll probably talk about that later on i think is well i i think it's because of what anton holds that makes him less scary but nonetheless well uh, yeah moving right along uh into uh you know not going into spoiler territory yeah it's great it's it, the music's great the musical choices are great uh the montage of uh just the band rocking out and moving from punk to classical is an inspired choice it's really good and uh you know it's it's just it's fantastic it's just very 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 good stuff and it's a movie that I like a lot, and I just defer um, the rest of my comments to what my dear co-hosts have already said. So, there you go, dear listener. Our biases are generally pro. We want you to say what you think about this movie to us, and you have to do that through the internet. So, Dalton, tell them how to talk to the internet. Well, unlike the ain't rights, we are, in fact, on social media. Because we are posers. Well, it turns out it's hard to get people to listen to your podcast if you're not. But you know what? If you're not making a podcast or in a band uh, or don't have a reason to be on social media... Don't do it. You don't need to be on there. Uh, so that's the end of this part. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we do need need that. Uh, look, just subscribe to the show. You don't need to follow us on Twitter. It's the best way to find out what we're doing is just subscribe to the show. Uh, but if you really want to engage with us, we do have fun hanging out with our listeners on the Internet. It's at good underscore trash. Uh, best way to find out what we're doing and what we're up to. Shows like the Good Trash Genrecast, which you're listening to right now. Shows like The Praise Down with Heath and Alex, which I hope you're also listening to because it's pretty good. Shows like The Borgo Cast with Dustin Sells and a rotating uh, cavalcade of guests, which he's having quite a good time with. Uh, web's content, well, web contents, oh, Jesus, I'm old, uh, video content, like a bad feeling about this, uh, with Dustin and his, his young spawn. Um, did you, do you just call him your young spawn on the show? Um, I mostly call him Hey You. <laughs> hey You. What's your favorite thing to, what's, what's your favorite thing to call your children to get their attention so that you know you're mad? Uh, do you do you, are you real first middle name dad or what's your deal? Uh, it's it's a first middle name normally. You yeah, know. pretty standard. That 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 or I say you know you're very near death and uh, yeah. that's usually the way that they have um, you know as Richard Dreyfus does yeah. thir- close encounters of the third kind. That's how they know that they're approaching the point of no return. You are very near death. 
That's a good one. I like that. Uh, so yeah, at good underscore trash on Twitter, the best way to uh, to keep in touch with us if you're already there. If you're not, don't stress yourself out about it. You don't need to be on Twitter. Uh, again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, it, it's, it's a big help to us. Uh, it keeps our visibility up. And again, it means you know when we're putting out content without you having to be on the damn internet other than, you know, your podcatcher. So that, 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 can't, that hardly counts, I think. Um, if you want to send us long form feedback, you can uh, send emails to the show, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. And I believe, Arthur, uh, we, we got some feedback on our paranormal activity episode. That's right, Dalton. Oh, I like that. Ooh, keep doing that. Uh, that's okay. All right. Uh, so we got an email from Lisa Latrinta, and Lisa is actually one of our Patreon sponsors. Oh, thank you, thank Lisa. You. Um, and she's not on social media. She just good job, Lisa. With us through uh, that and through email, and that's great. Patreon um, uh, subscriber. That's a, that's a gold star listener. That's a, you're you're that's, you're one yeah. of the special ones. Um, and if you you know what, if you don't have social media and you listen to the show, email us. Let us know. Uh, communicate with us. That'd be great. Uh, anyway, she says, I just want to drop a line and say I love the Paranormal Activity podcast. I think the movie is often overlooked, belittled by casual fans and people who don't know a lot about horror. I thought you guys had a great discussion honoring the film. Um, and she goes on to say, as someone whose analysis is often based on gender, I never applied that lens while viewing this film, and I really loved your analysis. I'd love to hear you guys talk more about the mystical woman concept in other in other shows. And then finally she says, lastly, you guys uh, suggested Creep. I've read about it, and it seems so creepy that I've put it off, but I guess I know what I'll be doing for the rest of today. Yeah, Lisa, it's a rough watch. Uh, Creep 2 gets into gender in really interesting ways. Um, honestly, I think Creep 2 is surprisingly the better film. Uh, our friend Kirsten Thurkelson, our frightful film, uh, who uh, used to, still occasionally, uh, writes for the website, um, has recommended Creep 2 uh, as your first viewing and then going back to watch Creep as a, as a suggested watch order. Um, thank you, Lisa. That was very nice. Um, that's the thing that I always forget to mention in this segment. Hey, yeah, everything we make is a, a is a, on the web, uh, www.goodtrashmedia.com. Uh, literally everything we do is over there. Uh, so that's easier than being on social media. Uh, and last but certainly not least, if you want to be a special, wonderful fan like Lisa, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM and, uh, you know, help us keep the coffers, uh, overflowing. And by overflowing, I mean, they keep the web fees paid for. Yes. Yes. Lisa is awesome. You should be like Lisa. Mm-hmm. That is the moral of the story. Thus, end of the lesson. Now. Don't be as awesome as Keithan because we can't have people over here all the time. Correct. It's it's a whole production. Yes. Now, thus, end of the lesson. Now beginneth the game. It might feel good. It might sound a little something. But damn the game. If it don't mean nothing. What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game. Behind the game. And we're back. This week's game is our, uh, what are we going to do? We're going to do our uh, favorite, favorite cinematic musicians. That's right. Favorite cinematic musicians brought to you by Green Room. Green Room. The Ain't Rights probably saw some, you know, posthumous success. Ah, yes. Look, there's no better way to get famous than having your band murdered. Well, that's how we're going to get us big on this podcast, guys. Oh, shit. Well, no. Well, oh, no. Or, or, or simply escaping and having killed a bunch of Nazis. Now, I like I like that, that ending story. a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's some ju- give and take, Dalton. It's just as successful that way. That's but true. You have to survive fighting Nazis, though. All right. So, so there, therein lies something of a problem. Did you see these? Uh, this look. This isn't a political show. Did you see the, these proud boys in New York beating people up? Yeah, it's no good, man. 
It's no good. Brown shirts are among us. I am not a fan. No, I don't like it. I don't care for it. Uh, be nice to each other, people. More on Nazis later. It now... turns it turns out it's better to be nice when it's hard. Hmm. So more on Nazis later. Now time for music. Yeah, Arthur. Music's t- better. Tell me a band that you like or a musician that you like that you saw in the movies once. I'm going to kick it off with a recent entry into this list. I'm going to put him at the bottom, but it is Jackson Maine from the 2018 edition of A Star Is Born. Yeah, man. Um, played by the wonderfully uh, handsome uh, Bradley Cooper. Hey, Arthur. What? Nothing. I just want to take another look at you. <laughs> Every time. Uh, every time. Melt Ugh. like butter. Ugh. It's a great. Uh, he's a great performance. Uh, he just looks great. He's and he can sing. He's crushing it, man. He can sing, which is fantastic. He's got a great voice, and he, he really just goes all out in those moments. And uh, yeah, and it's an interesting character study, I think. And I, I know there have been some think pieces about you know the politics of the film and the gender politics and things of that nature. But and they're uh, not wrong. I mean, no, yeah, um, but they're very I, interesting. Yeah, um, but I, I still think he's. This is a great performance and well put together and with great music. And I think that's very important to have. You know, uh, I'll, I'll come back to this with another person on my list. Um, but it's, you know, these songs sound like they've been around forever. And yeah. that's, I think, the key to that. And so I, I, I think he just does a great job of putting it out there, putting himself out there. Uh, I think it takes a lot to actually get up there and, you know, perform and sing like that. Well, especially, especially if you're going to not... play singer-songwriter next to Lady Gaga. Yeah. I mean, that's, ooh, boy. Yeah. No pressure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got to be able to have equal part on that stage, and I think he's able to go uh, somewhat toe-to-toe with her there. And so I'm going to go with Jackson Maine as my first. Nice. Number first pick. I appreciate that very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What is your number first pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart? My number first pick actually shares a band member uh, with part of the cast of Green Room. Uh, Mark Webb uh, from Green Room is also in uh, the band Sex Bomb from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. uh, with all the music written by Beck, uh, you knew that the the songs are probably going to be pretty good. But uh, man, other than just having some great songs made for the movie, um, you believe the band. You believe that Scott's the one that's always late to practice and always screwing up the practice. You believe Allison Pill uh, as this uh, put upon drummer who just wants to to thrash and wants these nerds to shut up and practice on time. Uh, you believe Mark Webb as this like kind of insecure front man who. Uh, is always worried that they're not good enough and that they're not cool enough and that they're not playing the right gigs. Like the dynamic of that band just uh, is totally sold by the by uh, the film. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, Edgar Wright again, somebody else that we are well documented as being fans of, but uh, he shoots those uh, those concert scenes uh, when they're not being interrupted by fights uh, quite successfully. I mean, the opening if Sex with Bomb isn't one of your favorite movie bands, just in the opening credits of that movie. That movie has nothing to offer you. I mean, if you're not sold, you're not going to get sold. But for me, uh, it's, it's a strong contender. And my number first pick. I had to figure out Dustin's numbering sequence there. It's always very difficult. Well, first happens first. It never first. makes sense. Yeah, first happens, then next, then last. We know. You've that, explained that, it to us. We'll it never sequence. gets less confusing. <laughs> well, what's your number first pick, old my, man? My <laughs> number first pick is... You can't a, pick Pearl Jam. Going... No, I'm not... Well, <laughs> There are Pearl Jam movies. I could actually, but I'm not. Um, what I'm going to go with is the uh, the lounge singer, the uh, the saloon musician, the mm-hmm. one man show who sort of makes all the entertainment happen. And I want to go to Sam from Casablanca. Yeah, I love me some Sam. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, racial politics are problematic, and I absolutely grant that. However, Sam is a great character that um, sort of gets overshadowed and overlooked in some of the conversations about why that movie works so well. And 
and it works in many ways uh, because of Sam. And Sam has this great uh, sort of, again, uh, what, what, what do I want to say, subversive little moment where he's talking about this woman's love for him. And in one of the songs that he's singing, in one of the you know opening scenes as he's walking in, and Inger Bergman's about to make her way in, or Peter Lorre's about to you know get shot. I don't remember what's going to happen. But something's going on along those lines. And you have a close-up of Sam and him singing just a couple lines of this song, this love song, and talking about why she loves him. And she says, because my... My teeth are pearly because my hair is curly, and it's awesome. And, uh, I mean, that's a good directorial choice, I'm sure, but it still uh, makes it amazing. And so there is some subversion even there, and I love me some Sam, and he does not get enough love. So, yeah, as time goes by, and Sam is my number first pick. Number next, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Uh, mine is, this character is kind of a... Uh evolutionary uh cousin to i think that prototype set in a star is born and that is jeff bridges is bad blake in crazy heart this kind I need of to catch up with this movie past his prime worn down old country singer who's just trying to get by and jeff jeff bridges is just an american treasure and one of the best living actors um and uh he just brings so much heart and empathy and emotion to that role uh, and you, you you believe him because he's Jeff Bridges doing his thing, and, and he adds so much. The little character ticks, the little beats, the little moments that he does in all of his performances, um, to make you kind of you know you empathize with Bad Blake, but at times you you dislike him for for what he is and what he does. Um, but again, he he's got these great musical numbers, just like in A Star Is Born, uh, and he has that line in there that. Uh, the best songs sound like you've heard them before. Uh, and it's a, it's a great moment, I think, and a great, uh, damn, that's point. a good line. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing that's kind of stuck out with, with that movie. Cause there's, that's got a great soundtrack. And then, then I, I think it resonates with the stars born. So it kind of feels like a precursor, but also kind of a successor to that whole string of, you know, adaptations of that movie. It seems like it fits right in there. You know, if Jackson Maine was to keep, was to keep going on and, gets to that moment of being past his prime uh, and and playing just little venues as he's getting passed by a younger, hotter uh, musician. Um, I think there's a lot of analog and parallels there. So I'm going to go with Bad Blake. Nice. I like that pick a lot. What do you say for your number next pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart? My number next pick is Barry Jive in the Uptown Five, formerly known as Kathleen Turner Overdrive, formerly known as Sonic Death Monkey, uh, led by Jack Black in High Fidelity. Um, we only get the one song, the cover of Let's Get It On, but, uh, there's something really endearing about that early performance from Jack Black. Um, again, you know, we all know and love Tenacious D now. You got some back-to-back blacks this month. You know it, baby. Uh, I love them. Have you guys, you guys got to see, uh, Tenacious D on Hot Ones, by the way? Uh, it's a treat. Uh, anyway, Jack Black in this movie is such so a So I treat. guess it's true, you always... You always bet on black. You always bet on black. We're going to talk about uh, bad times at the El Royale. Speaking of always bet on black later in the show. Ooh. Anyway, uh, it's it's known now that Jack Black has quite a set of pipes on him. In 2000, not so much. So when uh, this this uh, guy has been impish and delightful this whole movie, and he belts out these notes, it's it really does. Even you know, watching it now, knowing Jack Black is very musically talented, 
it totally works in the in the context of the movie. I think um, this over aggressive, over opinionated, over eager record store employee who is in fact a really talented guy uh, who just is very passionate about music, and that's uh, the root of his uh, his uh, over exuberance. Sometimes I, I just I like that movie a lot, and I, I think Jack Black is so endearing in the film. Um, so this this one is really more of a, a film musician than film band, but. Uh, it's a pick that is near and dear to my heart. So there you go. All right. Well, I like that pick very much. And in that same spirit of the comedy, a musical band, in the in the same vein as what you might find a band like Spinal Tap uh, coming forward, I want to name the Lone Rangers, which are uh, a band composed of three actors you have heard of. You'll okay. know the movie in a minute. Um, so we've got Steve Buscemi. We've got um, Adam Sandler, and we've got Brendan Fraser. Yeah, baby. And Airheads. We've got to watch this movie on the show. Man, it's totally worthy of the show. Yeah. It, it's a mess, and it's ridiculous, but it's also very, very funny. Is is Airheads comedy green room? Comedy green... Well, I mean, they do kind of hijack a radio station. I mean, with minus Nazis and, you know, scary... So yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I think maybe we could. <laughs> that that's my new L. I had totally forgot. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding, Dustin. I thought about it, but number one, I haven't seen the movie in probably ten years. And number two, I couldn't remember the name of the band. <laughs> yeah, the Lone Rangers, which is a stupid name for a group. Yep. As you know, loneliness requires requires you know being solitary. Yeah. You know, um, I'm all alone. That's why your name is Solo. Um, that kind of foolishness. Oh, that's a stupid line in that movie too. Anyway, uh. But uh, I like that movie a lot. It's really silly. I just I, Bashimi uh, and, and the difference between Bashimi's character and Sandler's character and Fraser's character creates this crazy weird dynamic, and it is this great meta rock and roll send up of a film. Uh, despite the fact that musically it's pretty gross. I mean, it's you know kind of a hair metal kind of thing. But nonetheless, uh, I like the band and I like the movie, and I keep talking about it because yeah, I kind of want to put it on the show sometime. So there you go. That's number next. What's number last for you, Mister Arthur Gordon? I am going to go with Miles Teller's Andrew Nyman from Whiplash. Oh, man. This Faustus oh, character who sells his soul to the devil to achieve his dream. Um, and, and, and this character who you don't like and who is just miserable and despicable and willing to sell out anyone and everyone to accomplish his dream for not. And I think it is a it's a great performance uh where we see it laid out all in the line as Neiman gives his literal blood and sweat to try to make it in this jazz band as as the drummer. Um, and, and he's, you know, foiled perfectly by J.K. Simmons in that movie. Um, but it's it's a perfect uh, modern-day, you know, fable or, or fairy tale of this kind of, you know, how far would you go to achieve your dreams? It's a thesis that Chazelle loves and has continued to play with since then. That's yeah, kind of a big, big uh, thematic point in all of his movies yeah. at this point. And so it's interesting to kind of see this. This is, you know, it's not his first film, but it's his breakout film. Um, really made a name for himself as this kind of dark horse competitor and an award season. And, and it's driven behind this one performance that is just raw and emotional and, and, take some fascinating turns to an ending that is intriguing if nothing else uh and and neiman is a, it's a fascinating uh character and a great portrayal my favorite miles teller performance by a long by a mile yeah my favorite damien chazelle movie by a mile yeah uh yeah great pick arthur awesome awesome what is your number last pick mr dalton stewart Man, uh, 
I really hemmed and hawed on this one. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Dingo's Ate My Baby. There it is. Thank you, Arthur, for always noting when I cheat. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Dingo's Ate My Baby, uh, front manned by Oz, played by Seth Green on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Look, you don't get to see a lot of Dingo's Ate My Baby performing, so it seemed it seemed too far off base. So I'm going to go with Sing Street from Sing Street, uh, written and directed by Joe Carney, uh, John Carney. Uh, just a wonderful film. Uh, you guys have seen Sing Street, right? No. No. Oh, my God. What? I wanted to. I didn't get around to it, though. Y- you would both like it a lot, Dustin. I, d- sure. I didn't want to. You'll like it more I than do, you I think. I do want to. <laughs> you look like a Pan Am pilot right now with that headset on. <laughs> Uh, you also, captain speaking. You also look like you could be in Sing Street, hey, honestly. Hey. Hey. I'm the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That joke will always be a treasure in a gym. Hey, you know what, dear listener? Never, ever wear a suit to podcast. Um, it doesn't matter if you had to go to a funeral and, nope. you know, you've had a terrible day and your friends are, you know, they're not going to be sympathetic. Just trying to cheer you nope. up, baby. They're, they're, they're nope. gonna, trying to put gonna, a smile on that gonna face. They're going to harass you and they're going to confuse you with, you know, um, people. Why don't you who... let me put a smile on that face? Look, when you've known people for almost a decade, you, you come to them for specific things and you come and to kindness us. is not one of them. You, we're always kind to you. Listen, 90% of the time, he gets the brunt of the joke. Yeah, I was so, about uh, to say. What? He's, he's just uh, Dishing out, but tables. can't take it. Oh, big baby. <laughs> no, we're having Ooh, Hey, listener, we're not. Boys, we're, we're having fun. Down. I'm being insulin on radio because insulin is funny. Insulin's just always funnier. Listen, insulin is not funny. <laughs> it's a very important drug that a lot of people rely important. on to stay alive. Arthur, I think you have half your headset plugged in again. <laughs> Checks out. <laughs> so, Sing Street's a movie. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and you like that one. and there's a band in that movie yeah these these charming irish children uh in the the late uh late 80s it was early 80s late 80s. man i can't remember it's been so long mid 80s there we go had to double check you're way off man it's been like two years since i've seen it uh it, it is incredibly heartwarming there's something really great about this band in particular because it is a band made of misfits these are not the cool kids at school um, they are playing music that a lot of the kids at their, their Irish school, uh, think is dumb and bad. Um, they're mostly playing new wave stuff, but, uh, they are, they are driven by some very musically talented members of the band and some very passionate members of the band and a member of the band who happens to have a cool older brother who is introducing them to good music. And, uh, th- I mean, the, the original songs written for the movie are really great. The covers are really great. The performances are, are just a ton of fun. Uh, if you have not seen seen Sing Street, I cannot more highly recommend it. I just think it's a blast. For the record, my honorable mention was B Rabbit. You know what? Good answer. That's not a bad answer at all. Okay, so my number last pick is um, one of two things. It is either a throwing down of the gauntlet at the praise down. Okay. Or it is demonstrating that I have not listened to all the episodes, and I didn't know that they've already done this. Okay, I'll let you know if they have. Okay, so the band I want to mention, which is not the band of the film, is uh, the band Apologetics, and the long-lost Christian genre of Christian music of the Christianified musical parody, in which you turn some hit pop song into a song about the Jesus. They're the weird owl of the Christian world. What? It's a thing. Yeah. 
And it, it, it's, it's uncanny the way in which they're able to emulate style and uh, vocalization uh, and just production. They're, they're really, really um, solid in the fact that you don't know which song you're hearing until you wait. That's not the words, um, because I don't remember Britney Spears talking about Oh Baby Baby and it being about Jesus. It's very, very high-level kids' bop is what you're telling me. Uh, very high-level kids' bop, yes. I'm going to have to talk to the praise down about this, because I don't know that they have covered apologetics. Is, please tell me it's spelled with an X. It is spelled with yep. an X. <laughs> you son of a bitch, it, of it, course it, it is. It is indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that is the genre in which this musical cinematic band plays. Okay. All right. And it's a band that involves Dame Maggie Smith. Really? Yes, Dame Maggie Smith is in this band. Go on. And I'm talking about the nuns from St. Catherine's Parish in the film Sister Act. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which is a great I movie. did not realize Maggie Smith was in that movie. Yeah, she is the Mother Superior. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, that she did great. not drop the gun. And uh, nonetheless, uh, and there's a great Beatles joke in the opening of that particular film. And it's a movie that is, uh, it's fun, but it's got, you know, it's got things going on with it. In fact, it's probably pretty good track. Probably, I think we should do it I on the show. I think it's worthy of this show. No, we as, definitely need to do Sister Act. As well. Uh, but Are we going to have Whoopi Month? <gasps> Can't February be Whoopi Month? February has to be Whoopi Month. Shit, <laughs> I, I think it might I, need to be. I don't think we have ghost? a choice. Okay, Sister Act. Ghost, Sister Act. Oh, listeners, I love it. I don't know if the listeners like it in the inside baseball uh, as much as we like doing it on the show, but it's fun for us. Burning. Is she in Mississippi Burning? I think so. I think so. All right, we're going to have to uh, get back to you on the rest of this uh, lineup oh, listener. Oh, Star Trek movies. We get throwing our Star Ooh, Trek. Generation. Ooh. All right, listeners, we're going to get back to you on this lineup for uh, for Whoopi Goldberg Month, but that might be happening. But Sister Act is a great movie. It's this great movie in which uh, this, this again, Roman Catholic um, convent put together these 50s doo-wop versions of uh, great Latin mass songs. And so the Ave Maria just finds its way into other songs. You know, I will follow him, follow him wherever he may go. I mean, it's great. And uh, so it, it's a lot of fun in that. And it's a movie in which you find that it's got this weird conceit that all these kids in the 90s are going to start coming to church because there's 50s doo-wop which is ridiculous but at the same time it's a church that didn't care about its community and starts to care about its community in the process and that's kind of interesting but uh nonetheless uh that i think is powerful and it's a fun movie two things i've got it we start with jumping jack flash yeah of course we do ghost we do sister act Mm -hmm. and then we end with eddie eddie there it is also My other honorable mention is Matt Damon in Eurotrip, because Scotty doesn't know. Have you guys heard the story about how Scotty doesn't know saved someone's life? This is a true story. We don't have time to talk about it on the show, but somebody was almost killed in a car accident, and Scotty doesn't know saved her life. Wow. I think I heard that story. Nonetheless, insane, right? we'll talk more about that off mic. But what we have done now is we have talked indeed about our favorite cinematic musical groups. We'd love to hear those from you via those magical means of social media already mentioned at the top of the show. So now we come to the point without further ado at which we arrive at business.
Yes, indeed, listener. It is business time. I am wearing my fancy business socks today, and I'm very, very glad. I really like those socks a lot. Well, They're colorful. You. That's a Josiah pick right there. So. Nice. That, that makes sense. It's, it's nice having kids because they make you cooler than you really are. Mm. Nonetheless, um, the business is not my socks. No, sadly, no. The business is indeed analysis of the film Green Room. The most political horror film of 2016, which we didn't realize at the time. No. We would have if we'd been paying closer attention. No, because, well, I was surprised. I remember conversations on that evening of that election going, guys, this is not happening. Don't worry. I'm stupid. People who are paying attention knew, man. I'm stupid. Um, and I confess my stupidity right here and right now. Same. But before we get into the politics, let's do some other things in the sort of... Yeah, let's thematic- circle back to the biggie. Biggie on the eye chart will come later. Yeah, so the first thing I want to talk about is I do want to talk about punk culture yeah. a little bit. Because oh, yeah. I want to talk about the particular value of punk culture that uh, the band is trying to address themselves, the ain't rights, and also part of the discussion that you find within the neo-Nazi groups. And I am referencing in terms of text, dear listener, if you are wanting to add to your reading list, uh, Dick Hebling's uh, great book, Subculture, which is all about the mods and the punks and all that sort of development in the UK. Okay, and so I guess we actually are going to give a history lesson on uh, on skinhead culture real no, quick. No, oh, you can if you want. Uh, really very quickly, uh, be- just because you mentioned uh, that Hebling, book, yeah. uh, and I think this is uh, some excerpts from this book is where I picked some of this up, but... Interestingly enough, neo-Nazi sub, uh, skinhead subculture comes out of British punk subcultures of skinheads, and they were not racists. In fact, a lot of those skinheads were um, black uh, or biracial or uh, white uh, friends because they were all the same kids from working-class neighborhoods, and it was not punk originally. It was a lot of ska and reggae um, and, and other uh, similar musical genres. They dressed that way because it's the way their dads dressed. Uh, their dads were factory workers who wore close-cropped hair and wore Doc Martens because that was what they wore to work. And they dressed like their dads, and they listened to music that was heavily influenced by Jamaica and you know uh, that those musical genres coming to uh, Britain from people of uh, West Indies descent who uh, grew up in the UK. Uh, so it's yeah, it's it's an interesting thing worth mentioning. Obviously that aspect of skinhead culture did not make it to the United States. No, sadly. Only the other ones did. Yeah, the bad ones. Now, the particular value that Hebling puts forward in his uh, in his text, and I think the particular value that we're seeing at work here in both the Ain't Rights and in the Neo-Nazis, mm-hmm. and so that's what I want to sort of drill in on, is this sort of one particular area of similarity, is the area of authenticity. That when, they, uh, when the band visits the home of the cousin of the guy... You know, and this is sort of very, very, you know, circuitous connection to how they end up at this particular club that is a neo-Nazi club. But when they're at his place and he is not home yet because he has to go to work, they're going through his record collection. And the comment is made by Tiger of Memory Service. This guy is true. This guy is true. Uh, which uh, Reese very amusingly says, why? Because he gets up at 5 a.m. to put jizz in his hair. Because Reese is not amused by his giant mohawk. No. but Because Reese about- is not amused by anything. No, he is not. Reese does not play. Um, but the music is true. Yeah. That he is a guy who's not just a uh, pretender. He's not just a guy who knows the big things. He's like, you like punk, and then you name like Green Day and uh, The Offspring, and we say, no, you don't like punk. Um, that kind of posery 
kind of, you know. Speaking of apologetics, look, I'm, I'm an apologist. I think Offspring is great. I, I, think, I, I, like, I like the Green Day. Too. Fuck it. But if, if that's if that's the only two bands you can name, for sure. Yeah. If your record collection has a Green Day and that, and then it's nothing but Fleetwood Mac, then I've got some questions to yeah. ask you, right, about your punk bona fides. But then Tiger puts on his uh his Fear record. Yes, which is great. Yeah. And which is a great sort of time drop, by the way. Oh my God. I, I love that. His... That cut is so good. It's a brilliant, brilliant move. So there's that for authenticity, and then we have uh, the, the 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 scenes at the actual club and some of the uh, plotting that's going on while we have our band locked away in the green room. And uh, Darcy is trying to find people to to accomplish his plans. Red laces only. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need a volunteer. I need tr- I need two true. Bl- true I need believers. a true believer. How about two? How about two? Yeah. And so this idea that you know there are people who sort of nibble at the edges. There are people who are into an aesthetic. And we can start talking now about goths. We can start talking about metal. We could start. And you know, music I- itself is sort of part of the edges of this. But we can even start talking about politics, right? Yeah. We could talk about people who are you know sort of cultural Marxists, and we have like real Marxists, and then we've got you know all this other bit of conversation. So I just want to talk about the film's conversation with what it means to be true. Well, and I think it's very interesting because you have people who, uh, like Tiger. Tiger says his Desert Island band is Misfits, right? Uh, and right before they all are going to go to their deaths, Alicia Shawkat's character says, okay, fine, fuck it. Uh, I forget what her actual... Simon and Garfunkel. It was Simon and Garfunkel. She says uh, in the interview... Um, does she? I can't remember who she says in the interview. But she uh, the Cro-Magnons, maybe. Okay. But her real Desert Island band is Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, and then you find out that Reese's real uh, Desert Island band is Prince. They are all putting on an affectation for this radio interview that they're on. And we I, Look, I've caught myself doing it on this show. I, I will try to make my taste sound better than it is sometimes, uh, which is why when I have chances to say things like, yeah, I like Green Day. Fuck it. Who cares? I mean, I like Green Day, too. Yeah. I don't just like Green Day. Or, yeah, no, I really do like uh, Roadhouse. I'm not just doing a Look, bit. Look, I'm going to get down as hard as kindergarten cop as I am to friggin' what, Truffaut or, or yeah. Hitchcock or what have you. And uh, we, we try to keep ourselves honest on this show, but it's hard not to when, when you know that people are looking at what you're presenting. And in this private moment, even uh, Reese, who seems pretty dyed-in-the-wool, uh, takes no guff, is always questioning other people's authenticity, says... Yeah, I like Prince, man. It's my favorite artist. Um, but then you've got Tiger, always true, Misfits. Uh, yeah. And I, f- I find that very interesting. But then you have uh, Anton Yelkin's character, who can't ever think of who his favorite uh, desert, who's di- desert island artist is. And I think that'll uh, come back up when we get into analysis that he's always, f- or when we get not into analysis, but when we start talking about the biggie in the, on the eye chart of this mm-hmm. film, he has a hard time committing a little bit he has a hard time saying all right fine we'll do this it's even uh when he's the one that suggests they do a dead kennedy's cover to open their show he wants to back out at the last second right uh and he has a hard time feet to the fire saying all right fuck it this is what has to be done this is what we're gonna do um but i think you're right dustin it is interesting to see this and even uh, with mark webb's character who is the leader of the red laces it turns out is ready to flip he wants to get out of this life. He wants to turn over evidence that they did a crime and get out of there. Uh, so I, I think you're right, Dustin. This this comes up throughout the movie, these questions of who is authentic and who, who is is putting on a front. But it turns out everybody's putting on a front. Even Darcy, who is the leader of these skinheads, he just wants to make heroin, man. Yeah. He's a businessman. The whole He's, thing's a front. Exactly. And yeah. it's all ideologies at the end of the day. Uh, generally serve somebody at the front of that ideology who has a personal stake in it. He's a cult leader. Yeah. And he's doing what he does to move his product. Yeah. 
he has no interest in the racial politics. I mean, he might be a racist. He probably also is a racist. Yeah. He doesn't care about these kids being racist. No. He cares about them helping him move heroin. He doesn't care about the ain't rights. He would probably would have been happy to let them go if the murder hadn't have happened to have taken place on top of his drug lab. Wait, 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 what? Uh, so are you are you making the claim that Darcy is not into the Nazi thing? No, he probably is a racist, but he's less interested in his uh, his Nazism than he is in the production of his heroin. Really? I, I did not get that read at all. I thought the heroin was just a way to finance it. No, I I, th- I think it, I think the the Nazism is a way to move the heroin. He's uh, a businessman because he he kills off uh the the guys uh, that actually do the murder worm in his band. He kills them because they're a loose end to the heroin. Yeah. Uh, and those guys are, I thought quote, kill- true believers. I, just, I thought he kills them all because they're just a loose end to them being able to accomplish their purposes, that their no. choices are going to no. get them in trouble. I, think, I feel like it's all business moves. No, I think he would have sold oh. them up the river if the yeah. murder hadn't have happened on top of his drug lab. Interesting. Yeah. Because okay. if they've got a cops and a forensics team coming into that room, it's not like his drug lab is well hidden. I mean, it's yeah. there's slats of, you know, wood slats above uh, above the entrance, so... I, I think it all comes down to business decisions. Even uh, his number two, uh, n- not the character played by Macon Blair, but the uh, the guy that actually the has the fight dogs. Um, for him, it's all about his dogs. I mean, yeah, yeah he also seems pretty uh, to be an unrepentant racist and true believer. Uh, but mostly he likes his dogs and he likes making money off of them. Hmm. Uh, depiction of the fight dog guy. Really weird character. Yeah, it is he a weird character. really seems to be sensitive about his puppies. Yeah. You know, his puppies that he sends to slaughter. Much like me, he's more worried about his dogs than he has other people. Yeah, but also, he, you know, you don't make your dogs fight for money. That's yeah. <laughs> no, so, don't say that. <laughs> so I want to throw another Charlie's like, vicious. theoretical cog into the machine and okay. see how well it spins in terms of this idea of, of being authentic. That authentic is really the value, though. Mm-hmm. And so even with even if Darcy's character is duplicitous, that I mean that just makes him even worse, right? Mm. Because oh, yeah. of, because of his lack of authenticity. And there is well, God, what's worse, an authentic Nazi or an inauthentic Nazi? Yeah, an inauthentic Nazi. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. Yeah, at least an authentic Nazi doesn't have the good sense to stop hating people. Right. An inauthentic Nazi has the good sense to stop hating people and chooses to keep portraying hatred because it's helpful for whatever other nefarious purpose they've got yeah yeah gross um so there's a great little essay in a book um by lionel trilling that i was trying to think of earlier um it's got this conversation about uh sincerity versus authenticity okay and that there has been a transition in uh western civilization western society as a cultural value that we used to value someone being sincere um, that they, when they say something, they mean that, or, 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 or that there's a, there's a real, but sincerity itself has become, uh, what you see in those sort of like 50s movies, Confessions of Love, and it becomes maudlin and sentimental and a little gross. And that we don't, we don't necessarily want to see somebody just, you know, say something and feel it from the heart. We want to see somebody who lives out a particular kind of ethic or ethos or lifestyle or tribalism now. That, that's what authenticity looks like. Okay. I, I wonder if the internet's not moving. Moving that in the opposite direction, though, because in, in my lifetime, you know, uh, knowing people who were uh, very authentic in their subcultures, whether it was, you know, and, you know, punks I knew growing up or metal kids I knew growing up or even you know, country kids I knew growing up. Um, I, I knew people of different subcultures. Uh, and in my lifetime of watching the Internet kind of take hold. Uh, and again, the Internet kind of took hold as I'm entering college and people are becoming less uh, obsessed with a certain presentation of, uh, of a subculture. But I, I don't think that authenticity has the cultural cachet it once did, because you can spend two hours on the Internet and go to school the next day and be a punk expert. 
I mean, it doesn't take long to do the research. You got, you know, 10 records you got to listen to and a bunch of bands you got to read about. But you can be an expert pretty quick. And but just about anything, right? Anything. Again, I mean, we yeah. were talking, I said punk because we are talking about anyway. Green Room. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, really, can you be sincere about what you like? Can you really tell people and that's you know we try to do on this show we try to sincerely tell you why we like these well, things that's where the passion comes in if, exactly if it's something yeah you're you're just researching by the you know by the book it's not something you're passionate about and it's like taking a class in college that you don't care about you're not passionate yeah. about it. you're not going to put in as much effort you could do the homework you can get the assignment but and that's you're the, not going to get the true work it, and out that's, there that's the big moment for the band right is when they stop trying to be authentic punks and start being sincere friends mm-hmm. Prince Simon nice. and Garfunkel yeah Blondie and Slayer. So that's line. the moment that uh, Ilsa, as uh, L.A. Shawcat calls her, um, gets kind of really um, f- brought into their fold. Is when she is also sincere and says, yeah, "Blondie, yeah, yeah." Um, it's it's an interesting moment in the movie. It's it's a moment where everybody says, "We might die," so this is probably a time that we need to be honest with each other. I think it's a, a moment. I, again, there might still be some truth to that, that our Western culture still values authenticity over sincerity, but I, I like to hope that um, the only good thing about the internet making it hard for people to hide uh, behind fake authenticity is it forces people to be a little bit more sincere, maybe. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, that's always been my goal with the show, you know, we can, we can, we've we sort of had that meta conversation a little bit already about what we like. Uh, I wanted, I wanted this show, and I've always wanted us to talk about, you know, genre movies that we really love, and then also talk about how much we love Francois Truffaut. That 400 Blows is brilliant, and I will turn right around, and I will watch Armageddon, and I don't care. Um, that, Still haven't caught up with 400 Blows, I'm not going to pretend I have. But, you know, well, I mean, or whatever yeah. the example happens to be, right? We could use any number of yeah. things, right? Uh, the, Jordan Wosky's The Holy Mountain. Man, yeah. Inception. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Nolan-esque films <laughs> Yeah, and that we don't care You know, no. that we can like what we like And it's fine And it, and we don't have to be, again, sort of authentic Like, well, if you're not a real Teen Wolf if you're, Oh, gosh um, it, but, and, Still hate it And we can hate what we want to hate Yeah you know, That's the thing Is that we can hate some of the high art High-end yeah. art movies And we can hate some of the genre movies And it's okay and uh, that we don't have to, you know, subscribe to some sort of very, very austere kind of aesthetic. You know, that we only, uh, you know, and uh, there are great, you know, podcasts out there that only deal with, you know, action movies or only deal with, you know, kung fu films or only deal with horror films or whatever. And some of them are and real gr- good. And they're great. And, and there's nothing wrong with sort of being, you know, quote, quote, monster kid, uh, if that's what you're into. But that being said, I don't feel the need to do that. And I can love me some Frankenstein movies and I can love me some Julia Roberts romantic comedies. And I don't care. You know, yeah, and uh, and I don't think I, you know, I can still be an appreciator. You can love Dead Kennedys and Prince. Well, yeah, and back to back. Yeah, man, that ooh, that's a good playlist. Mm-hmm. So uh, there you go. There's uh, the first thing that I was thinking about that I definitely want to talk about. Now I want to talk about, and this is where the Blue Ruin might come in a bit more as well. Is just uh, the meditation on violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we see here? And we've already sort of alluded to it right now. The sort of crunchiness and visceralness uh, to the uh, to the makeup and the use of violence. Um, well, it's, it starts with Reese, right? And I, I, I've been wanting to talk about Reese, uh, and this seems like a good way to talk yes. about him real quick as we segue into this. Uh, in terms of authenticity, it's uh, whether it's punk or metal or any, quote, tough music, 
there's always uh, somebody in the friend groups in those uh, groups in that subculture that's like a little bit too ready to fight people. Yes. And Reese is definitely that guy. He wants to beat up Tad for uh, the show that they were supposed to play Falling hey, Apart. Sorry I nearly obliterated you, man. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, man. It's, all right, Reese, calm down, jujitsu. And that's Reese is ready to rock and roll the entire movie, and it gets him killed. Mm-hmm. It gets him killed because he's too ready for a fight. Um, because he's too ready to go in guns blazing. The person who makes it out to the other side is, uh, is Anton Yelkin, who is the least ready to fight, who least wanted to fight. Pat was not having it, and he ends up making it to the other side, and Reese has to say, hey, man, you held on longer than I did, in the uh, the gore set piece of the film, probably, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, uh, Pat's arm just gets absolutely mangled. Oh, oh my God, man, that's so awful. gross, so gross. But, again, that comes back to... It plays in the authenticity, too, a little bit, but it, it does segue us into this violence. Uh, the Reese, Reese is the guy who wants a fight. He's wanting a fight from the moment they get there. He does not want to be there, and yet he's the reason they're there. The only reason Tad referred them to this gig is because Reese almost kicked his ass. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason he put uh, put them in this situation. He was trying to do them a favor because he felt like he had, he had fucked up. So here comes the homily for the moment, dear listener, um, where I tell you that, indeed, it is good to punch a Nazi in the face. However, if you spend your life thinking about when you can punch a Nazi in the face, begin to construct for yourself opportunities to punch a Nazi in the face, reevaluate yourself. Yeah. Thus endeth the lesson. You're just looking for an excuse to get in a fight. And and don't get me wrong. Some people need to get get bopped on the nose. But don't go looking for it. Otherwise, you're going to be like Reese and fall out of a kitchen window and get macheted to death. Which is bad. No, you don't want that. You can't help anybody if you get macheted to death. No, I'm, I'm very bad at helping people once I've been macheted to death. Last time it happened, I was useless. Absolutely useless. <laughs> I remember that birthday party. <laughs> it was so bad. Uh, it really does, uh, though, just become a hallmark of Jeremy Sonier's career. I mentioned uh, Hold the Dark earlier, Arthur. Uh, without you know getting too spoilery into that film because it hasn't been out for very long, uh, Sonia continues this aesthetic of his films and presents gun violence in that movie in a really horrific way, and it is not cool. Uh, people get sh- getting shot in the face is gross. It's real nasty. Um, it's as nasty as somebody getting a machete to the arm. And uh, I think that's one of the most important things about Jeremy Sonier's movies is he's showing film violence in a way that is not pretty. Um, it's realistic. The head stab in this movie is gross. The head stab in uh, or the neck stab in Blue Ruin is very yeah. gross. Um, and uh, I, I think that's a big part of what I know that there's some criticism out there of the ending of Blue Ruin just kind of uh, not sticking to its guns on its depiction of violence. I've, I kind of disagree with that assessment, honestly. Um, I think it does still stick to its guns uh, just because of the violence still being pretty gross. And this one's the same way. Even in the triumphant moment of Darcy's death, uh, him getting shot in the head's pretty nasty. It's got a little, yeah. little dribble. Mm-hmm. It's going to spurt, spurty dribble. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's still ugly and it's not pretty. And it's not, it's not glorious. It's not glamorous. And uh, I, I think that's one thing that uh, this particular team does a great job of making sure we understand. Well, Sonia, I mean, he's not interested in gl- glamorizing the violence. He's not interested in like some beauty and death you know, thing. I mean, violence is nasty and it's ugly and it's painful and it's hurtful. And I, I think that's what he embraces. You know, we mentioned earlier, he just, he shows you enough to let you have the point and then he moves on. He doesn't have to meditate on it. And that, I think, Arthur, is the real sticking point, right? Because you can make the argument that this hyper-violence is its own form of glorification and fetishization. But it's it's quick cuts. I mean, yep. you don't. He doesn't make you look at that hand very yep. long. 
the uh, the really gross belly scene doesn't make you look at that for very long. Um, every, every time there's an intense moment of gore, it's very quick, or it's c- covered in shadow. Well, I think the yeah. counterpoint might help us see what the difference is in this particular depiction of violence, mm-hmm. as we might see another thing. So uh, let's talk about uh, Drive with uh, from from um, Nicholas Reffin. Yeah. Reffin. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the scene where what's her name from Mad Men gets shot. In Christina the head. Hendricks. Thank yeah. you. And uh, that slow motion, <sighs> yeah, skull cap blowing off, shotgun yeah. shot. It, it is beautiful. Even though it's awful, oh, yeah, and, yeah, and the elevator sequence itself, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, th- those are aesthetically pleasing moments of violence. Yeah, I, I, I think Solani has found this balance between you know this kind of implied violence I think we saw in the '70s before we moved more into this hyper violence of, of you know, of Penn and, and of Tarantino and, and the kind of hit in the, the '70s and '80s and, mm-hmm. and through the '90s. You know, there's a lot of stuff. You know, the Palma Scarface. There's the uh, a guy takes a chainsaw to the head, but we don't actually see it. We we hear the chainsaw, we see the facial response to it. We don't actually see the violence. And the same thing with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's not a lot of gore in that film. It's no. all implied in your head. And and, and what Solney does is I, I, he relies on the subconscious, the imagination, to put those pieces together by giving you just the glimpse of what what is there. He, he shows you just enough for your arm to hurt for the rest of yeah. the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, and man, yeah. Third yeah. third time I watch this, my hand still hurt mm-hmm. for the cringy, rest cringy. of the movie. Yeah, uh, it awful. feels weird talking about it right now. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think he threads that needle really well, and I think it kind of ties back into uh, what you were just talking about about looking for fights, Dustin. About looking for violence, you go look and you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, this this is fun to talk about. One of the very first uh, things that I ever got to hear Dustin talk about, one of the very first pieces of analysis Dustin ever gave when we first met, was talking about. Uh, Man, it's weird that we're going to say something nice about Quentin Tarantino. We haven't done that in a while. It has uh, been a minute. But talking about oh, Inglorious yeah. Bastards being yeah. a film about uh, you know staring into the abyss lest you become a monster. Man, uh, if you get too excited about killing people, even if they're bad, you start to suck. Yeah, you become one of the bad people yourself. You yeah, know? unless you're ready to kill everybody that sucks, and I don't want to be around you if you are. There's still going to be people who got their feelings hurt when you kill people that they liked, even if they know those people they liked had bad opinions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's always somebody's brother. It's always somebody's son or daughter. Yeah. It's always, you know, so. Uh, even bad men love their mamas. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, there's that. Now, I guess we finally need to go ahead and talk about Nazis. Uh, yeah, I guess so. So, um, this movie, most political film of 2016, and yet we did not know. Why? Proud Boys. Why? Because of Charles uh, Gamergate. Gamergate. Why? Because yeah, we still got those things. Yeah. And uh, you know this this movie is very punk bra- scenes still have Nazis. Yeah, they still do. I mean, it, you know, was it braces and bars is what they named the the, the sort of braces and laces. He, he says braces and bars that the suspenders, and that's the, that's the moment where Yelkin's like, wait, so like sharp, right? No, which is skinheads against racial prejudice talking about the the sixties, seventies, eighties UK groups we were talking about earlier. No. No, nope. ultra right, uh, far right, or ultra left, depending on how you look at it, which well, is a funny line. Well, which is line. not how you look at it. No, that's an intentional uh, subversion, but that's neither here nor there. We're we're strictly talking about racial hate. We don't need to talk about uh, spectrums. Yeah, we, and economic issues are, n- are not really what we're going to deal with right now. No. Um, so, 
yeah, I, I guess I, I don't know what I want to say so much as much as this movie is a, a great way of helping us to see the presence and prevalence of these particular groups. They are known that they are present, that they do exist, and that they are dangerous. And uh, there, there are ways in which uh, these kinds of, you know, this film as a monster movie, I think, is really where it comes down to, mm-hmm. is that um, Dalton called this a real-life horror film. Uh, I think off mic last week. Yeah, and uh, that there there really are monsters out there, and that uh, that this movie is sort of that crazed uh, you know performance at the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You know, they're out there. Look, I'm afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Yes, paranormal activity makes me afraid when I hear a noise at night. But you know what makes me more afraid when I'm at a bar and a guy starts saying some real gross shit, and I don't know what's going to happen next. That's way scarier because that happens way more often than my, uh, I don't know, the air conditioner thumping outside and making me think it's a ghost. Now I can figure out it's not a ghost pretty quickly. I can never figure out what the person next to me is going to do. And uh, that's way scarier, man. Uh, That shit uh, keep you up at night. And uh, I think that's what makes uh, Green Room really effective. It's it's really the only film Sonya has done that's like fully a horror film. I think there's moments in Blue Ruin. Uh, well, I guess Murder Party is a, is a horror film. I haven't caught up with that one yet. But um, I, the horror in this film is is so specific uh, because it's not it's not necessarily scary. It's just stressful because that's what happens when you get scared in real life. You mostly just get stressed out. Uh, that's that's a weird feeling. Uh, knowing that uh, people next to you might have ill intent. So here's my bit of horror genre analysis of the American um, existence of the alt-right and of Nazis. And uh, in every single horror film that you see, which is a supernatural horror film that's a monster film, um, and again, in terms of like the classic kinds of monsters, whether it's zombies or vampires or werewolves or you know whatever uh, sort of occult thing that you're dealing with in something like a paranormal activity where you've got the haunting demons or the ghosts or whatever that are aggressively coming after you for whatever reason, there's a couple things that we find about them, that they are always things from our past that we have not acknowledged. For instance, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the four major companies in the United States that, you know, funded as much the Allies as they did, the Axis during World War II, and that there has always been, uh, there was there's a great press to not get involved in World War II because they kind of liked the guy with the Charlie Chaplin mustache and uh, really didn't think even if he was a big threat to Europe, he would be a, much of a threat to the United States. That there is this sort of, um, you know, sleeping with the devil that's been going on anyway. So that's one of the big things in all the horror films is that you did not deal with this thing in the past you did not acknowledge it and now living in the basement now living in the attic is the thing and it is waiting but there's also another aspect of it is that in the time intervening between the moment of the events of the film itself and the moments of the past that are sort of the inciting incident where the Toby zombie or the Toby ghost is now after me and all my family is that people have stopped believing in the monster itself. They've stopped believing that it really exists, that it's not really a thing and it's a thing of the past. And even in the past, it was more of a superstition that crazy people sort of trumped up. And of course, in our enlightened day and age right now we could not have those kinds of things running around with us because we're not that kind of folk anymore and suddenly here they are and nobody knows how to deal with it. Zombies and vampires are really just metaphors for Nazis in the United States. They've been around, they're part of our past, they're part of our history and they are coming back and if we keep pretending like the devil ain't real, the devil's gonna bite us on the ass. Eugenics that was an American idea 
Uh, our history-minded listeners, I would encourage you to check out a really great episode of The Dollop about the American Nazi Party. Yeah. Uh, nice. And, and you're right. I mean, that's I think that's a really great parallel to draw, Dustin. Of, uh, I think I kept thinking about the Blair Witch Project, right? Right. A uh, film about uh, things that we did in the past that we did not reckon with and uh, things that we had in our past that we uh, tried to ignore and bury. Um yeah, the the Nazis of Green Room follow the uh, the tropes of film monsters quite effectively, and I hadn't thought about it that way. That's uh, that's a very interesting way to put it, man. And then our present existence of them is just again a, a sort of a streamlined version of the same thing that we saw before. No, you don't have all the chance, and no, you don't have the books, and you no, have the they, chance sometimes, some, sometimes, but you don't have the Hugo Boss garb, and you know, I mean that you know, there are ways in which those trappings sort of change and they get updated, and that's how they become unrecognizable. And so, yeah, Dracula's not running around in his Victorian cape or any of that kind of stuff any longer. He's at the uh, club scene in, uh, you know, some sort of a rave uh, situation in those movies, and th- these kids are showing up at punk bars. Uh, this is or uh, getting named Richard and talking at uh, political conferences in Washington D.C. or khaki pants and red hats. However you want to talk about it. Um, okay, I think I'm I'm just angry now, and I better stop. Yeah, that's uh, it's easy to get angry these days. You're not wrong. Look, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that everybody that disagrees with me is a Nazi because that would be inaccurate no. and dismissive. Um, but, you know, look at the people that agree with you and uh, wonder, uh, you know, do you agree with them on everything they say? You don't have to be friends with them then, man. Yeah, and I guess I would just further extend sort of the American horror trope itself um, as a meditation on historical violences that, you know, that all of those things sort of, uh, there's a Venn diagram of various things. And so Nazis are a expression of that. The same thing could be said about your sort of, you know, um, Toby Hooper's poltergeist and the Indian burial ground, right? Yep. Or you could be saying about the Salem witch trials, or you could be talking about just the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the long history of white supremacy in the United States with the, uh, with institution of slavery and other things along those lines, that all of those things, uh, the oppression of women, the, uh, the internment of the Japanese during, World War II, we could go on and on and on, that all of these things are secrets that we keep hiding, and they keep coming back, mostly because we pretend like they're not there, and then we're surprised when people and institutions continue to find life in those undead things, and they again are raised monstrously amongst us, and so let's handle that and not have that anymore, please. You uh, you can't kill ghosts, and yeah, you, you can't kill bad ideas about who's important and who's not. Uh, well, you know, you can't, unless you acknowledge that you were thinking them and then stop doing it. Because you know where you don't have Nazis? Germany. You don't have Nazis in Germany. Well, I mean, there are some. Well, they had some elections go sideways recently. But, uh. but you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a, there's, a, there's a way in which there is a small population within German you know, society that doesn't believe in the Holocaust and those sort of deniers and that. But they are far marginalized because what the society has done is they've meditated on, we did this thing. And we can't let this happen again. And the ways in which that is owned, the same thing with like Australia, which has a, a national sorry day, right? Um, sorry day is a brilliant idea. Um, and it sounds really kind of trite and, you know, and I, it does sound a little and, trite. And, and I'm certain there are problems with, you know, the culture there in Australia. And I'm not by any means an, an expert in Australian culture, but there's a way in which the government of Australia recognizes we did not treat the Aborigines right. 
we did badly. We broke God's laws, I think, as part of the sort of standard uh, covenant that's read of it, that we broke God's laws by doing what we did, and uh, which is crazy religious language to be in a uh, sort of legal document. And so we set this day as a day of repentance for our sins. And uh, would that this nation did something similar? I think we might do better. We all do bad stuff, and it's important to remember that and say you're sorry. So, okay, I'm done. I think now, finally. No, I think you did good. That was good. Uh, it felt good. It needed to be said. It was the uh, most uh, economic way to address the biggie on the eye chart. Um, be nice until it's time not to be nice. Yeah, be awesome to each other, please. Uh, I think that's a good way to put a, put a pin in it. Anybody else got any uh, lingering thoughts? I think it comes down to one decision. Do we shell for trash and Elser instead? Dustin, let's go to you first. I say shelf. This movie is awesome. It is super, super good. It is so much fun. I mean, for for the reasons that we've already mentioned. Um, what else should you watch? I think you ought to watch Triumph of the Will. I mean, uh, Lenny Riefenstahl's um Nazi propaganda film is interesting and something to be thinking about. Yeah, just looking at the aesthetic, looking at sort of the ways in which uh, those uh, kinds of ideologies are aestheticized is a good way to identify them in contemporary practice. And then I'm going to say you also accompany this film with Spike Lee's The Black Klansman. Another film about how things don't just go away. No, they don't, and they still keep hanging on. And uh, so there's a way in which its prescience and uh, the prescience of this particular film would work very well together. So those are my two recommends. Uh, Lenny Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will. It's a slog, I know. It's on YouTube. Don't give any money and uh, because, you know, we don't want to support <laughs> that. Yet, nonetheless, um, those people are all dead at this point. I don't even know who would get the money at this point. That's fair. Um, and then uh, Spike Lee's The Black Klansman, which you should definitely make sure he gets money. I definitely need to check out that. Dalton, I don't think we have to ask, but uh, Shell for Trash, Elser instead. Uh, well, yeah, you're right, Arthur. You don't have to ask. It's going on the shelf. Um, it is a very, very good movie. Uh, my favorite Jeremy Saunier film up until this point. Um, I liked Hold the Dark quite a bit. I think you should probably watch that as well. Uh, I don't like it as much as Green Room, unfortunately, but it's still very good. Uh, Blue Ruin is also fantastic, especially if you uh, saw this movie and thought that Megan Blair guy is good. If you want more of that, you got to watch Blue Ruin. Um, maybe feel bad every time you turn on your Volkswagen like I do. That's an important thing to do. Um, it's an important thing to think about. But there's also lots of things made in this country that uh, were made by Nazis. Operation Paperclip, everybody. Uh, uh, Fords. Moving right along, um, I'm going to recommend another 2018 film uh, that I just saw this weekend, Drew Goddard's Bad Times at the El Royale, another film about uh, a single location uh, beset by violence, uh, a film much more about uh, grace and redemption and empathy uh, and trauma more so than survival. Um, so if you if you saw Green Room and thought, I could have used another hour about uh, what it means when people kill each other, uh, you should definitely check out Bad Times at the El Royale. Um, let's look at a final film set in a uh, single location with life or death stakes. Uh, but this one's got the highest life or death stakes, the world. That's Sidney Lumet's Failsafe, uh, a film that nobody saw the year it came out because it came out the same year as Dr. Strangelove. Uh, it's Dr. Strangelove, but, uh, but, you know, made by the guy that did 12 Angry Men. So there's uh, more serious scowls and uh, uh, more meditations uh look it's a lot more on the nose probably but i'm sorry sometimes these things need to be on the nose uh like in green room 
That's all I got for you guys. It works for us sometimes. Well, what about you, Arthur? Shelf or trash shelter instead? I'm I'm going to go shelf. I I I think it's a great film. It 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 works on every level for me, and I I think it's endlessly rewatchable. I I think it's got a lot going for it. I think uh, we'll look back fondly on it, and, and as a testament to this tumultuous time we're in right now. Uh, with it, uh, lighten the moon with the Rocketeer. You can talk about Nazis in America. Mr. Timothy Dalton has a blast in that one. Uh, I'm also going to say, as the next picture show alluded to, Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. They did a good back-to-back with that and Green Room. Oh, those two episodes are really good. Yes. Nice play. Check those out as well to get some more uh, in-depth analysis on both of these films and how they pair well. I'm going to say Straw Dogs. You talk about violence. You talk about masculinity, the problematic issues that arise. I think you've got to you got to check out that one, uh, and then finally, uh, again to kind of lighten the mood, you got to team up with the bad guy sometimes, and you watch Pitch Black, uh, and, and you yes. watch uh, you watch Vin Diesel oh, take yeah. on some aliens. So that's that's that. That's Green Room. That's a good show, but we got to do one more. We got one more. One Dust, more. Dustin agreed to an entire month of horror movies. We told him we would let him off the leash, right. and here here were the parameters. We, we wouldn't let him pick anything foreign or anything artsy. And Dustin, will you please tell the listener what they've won for holding out? What you've won is another triple feature. Indeed. Next week's show will be a three-show show. Three-show show. Three-show show. Three-show show show in which we look at Dario Argento's uh, Suspiria, followed by the sequel, Inferno, followed by its sequel, Mother of Tears. That's right, the Three Mothers trilogy from Dario Argento. We're going to get Giallo, and we're going to get even Asia is going to show up a little bit uh, in the last film. Dustin, the only person who likes all three of these movies. I haven't seen the third one yet. Really? I own it, but I haven't seen it. Oh, so you're just doing this so you have an excuse to watch it finally. Hey, I've done that before. Yeah, that's true. I all have. I really love the first two, though. Okay. I hear the third one's bad. Yeah. So, what, 30 years later or something like the 20 years later? Yeah, I think the problem... That's 2007. Now, what happens reliable. What happens next week if I just watch Suspiria? Um, we kick you out. God damn it, all right. I guess I'll have to watch all these movies. <laughs> you do. It'll be fun. We'll have a good time. It'll be a blast. Well, there you have it, dear listener. Uh, you can go out and have yourself a discussion about Green Room, about any of these films that we've elster insteaded, mostly elst because this is a shelfable film. Uh, you go out, if you can find the Three Mothers trilogy, watch all three parts. If not, at least catch up with Suspiria because we got that spoopy remake coming down the pike. Man, I'm excited about that. Speaking mm-hmm. of Dakota Johnson, Bad Times at the El Royale, she's great in that. She is that. I'm very excited to see her in Suspiria. About to break it out, I hope. Uh, so you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast. The Good Trash Genrecast is a product of Good Trash Media. For more info on everything Good Trash, head on over to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music this week, as always, is an original composition by friend of the show Aaron Rodgers, and our outro music this week is Nazi Punk's Fuck Off by the Dead Kennedys. Stop your backs and trash our holes! Trash your back!